Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a count. That is correct. Yes, a count. He's an enologist, a winemaker, and he's the owner of Manicore Wines. Count Michael, please say your name one more time. Goes Hensenberg, but Goes Mike Hensenberg. is much easier. Mike is easy. Okay, so, yeah. okay. so Manicore is a 400-year-old wine estate located in Caldara, Italy. Uh, Michael took over the reins of the estate from his uncle in 1991, and prior to his leadership, the estate's grapes were sold to local co-ops. Uh, his focus was to create world-class wines based on soil diversity and biodynamic practices, and the first Manicore wines hit the market in 1996, Welcome, Count Michael. Count Mike. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming in. This uh, this came together like in less than 48 hours, so I'm really exactly. glad we could pull this yeah. off. Uh, tell everybody about the wines we're drinking today that you brought to share with me. I brought our two uh, estate wines with me. They're called Reserve del Conte and Reserve de la Contessa. Um, they're two blends, uh, very typical blends for our vineyards not most typical for the for for the area it's alto adige so the most northern part of italy in the dolomites but they are very typical for us and our vineyards so the first one reserve de la contessa white is a blend of pinot blanc chardonnay and sauvignon and the red one is uh, the the most grown grapes on our estate red they are uh, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Lagrain, which is one of the indigenous varieties of our area. Wonderful. I'm excited. I'm, we're on the Countess, and it's it's beautiful. Um, I would say and, uh, it rivals white Burgundy. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. B- because, uh, of course, there's uh, Pinot Blanc and Chardonnay, and Chardonnay is the most important uh, variety of Burgundy. But it's more also the the style and the soil where it comes from. Mm-hmm. That we like the really the soil uh, being the most important part to feed the plants, to feed the g- the grapes, and then it's every winery's style how you compose the wine. So um, our ways we work very gentle. We work biodynamic. So. We like to have very elegant and and um, balanced wines. Wonderful. All right, so let's kind of start at the beginning, uh, Michael. Um, and I think the beginning here is going to go uh, way back because Manicor is a four-year-old wine estate. Um, so let's, first of all, everybody's like, what is a count? We don't have counts in the <laughs> United States. <laughs> well... 
I, I like to say a count doesn't count. It, it <laughs> only what you do counts. Yeah. Oh, I love that. But but uh, of course it's an old uh, tradition. It it weighs back to the monarchy, and when a family or when somebody did something important, was a big supporter of the monarchy, then they got a title. In this case, it's the title of uh, count. And um, so it's then handed over to all the members of the family, all the generations after that. So I didn't achieve this. Uh, you were born this way. <laughs> I was born this way. <laughs> but but uh, some people, uh, uh, um, how do you say, some people um, expect to me to behave like that. Gotcha. So people, if, if you're account, they watch you even closer and say, oh, let's see what he's doing and how he's behaving. And, and uh, so that's why there's a, a, a responsibility. Uh, well, you know, I, I think it's great that you feel that you respect that it's responsibility. I mean, we have kings and princes throughout history who did not respect the title. That's <laughs> right. Shameless, that's, that's, you know, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, that happens more often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. More, more also, also today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or, yeah, we have, yeah. Uh, we don't <laughs> name them. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> that'll be a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, so uh, who uh, first achieved the title? Was that Cassie Ignaz uh, Innsberg? Was that who first achieved he the title? He was the first one who achieved it from my mother's side of the family. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And he was um, like the right wing or the right hand of uh, Regina Maria Theresia Habsburg. Okay. So he was very close to her and he was um, given the responsibility for Tyrol, Tyrol, the southern part of uh, Austria okay. at that time, which was way bigger than it's today. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the funny thing, he, he she she managed everything uh, as empires. So she managed his marriage to, a, to her um, first lady in, the, in her team. Her, her court, yeah, yeah. Uh, whose name was Sophie. And funny enough, my, s my wife's name today is Sophie <laughs> and my son is Cassian. So uh, history comes back. That's amazing. So yeah. what is it like, what is it like to, um, be that connected to your history because you know a lot of people in the United States is such a new country most people don't know where they come from what's it like to, to like know where you come from does that because you you have the same history as I have the same long history yeah yeah, yeah. just not everybody knows it yeah so we know a little boy more about our family and uh, we have family reunions so we have we have our own home page which is called a big family.com oh wow okay, so there's yeah. i think 1500 people in it now and when we meet when we do have a family meeting every four years there are about 700 people coming from all over the world so we need name tags with different colors so we knew oh you are from this wing from the family or you are from that side or so it's it's quite funny but uh, it's also great because uh, if you if somebody wants to travel to Osaka, he asks in the, on the website who who of the family is there who I can relate to. So having a big family 
is really nice because you can relay on many people. That is amazing. I'm stealing that idea, idea <coughs> a family website. We can barely get 30 people to our family union. You guys get 700. So <laughs> you, you, it could be the wine, too. I don't know. Um, <coughs> all right. So your beginning, where did you grow up? Where Obviously. I, yes. I grew up in Carinthia, oh. which is the south of Austria, southeast of Austria. Okay. Because my mother's family, she's from South Tyrol, where I am now. Mm-hmm. And my father's family, he, he they lived in, in Austria. So my mother married to there, and I got back to my mother's roots. Okay. And um, how many in your family? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Or I have uh, four brothers and sisters, two sisters, two brothers. They're all older than me. Everybody does uh, different things. So um, I'm the only one in the wine business and growing and farmer. Yeah. And, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, what was it like growing up in, in uh, Tyrol, that part of Austria? Like, what was what what is a typical? What was I can't I don't know what typical is. What was your childhood like? Spent a lot of time outdoors. I mean, what was? Uh yes, th- I mean uh, this part of Austria is really nice mountains. So a lot of skiing in winter time, a lot of um, climbing or, or um, walking uh, the mountains in the. F- I, I basically grew up in the forest okay my way to school was one kilometer walking through the forest to a very small school and uh, often I was followed by followed by a roe deer which which uh, when it was really small like a bambi baby yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, hurt so we uh, we uh, healed it yeah. at our home so it was living in the forest but very attached to us so sometimes he followed me you had a pet deer (laughs) (laughs) like a pet deer a pet wild deer that's amazing so it was a very natural life yeah and what did your parents do Uh, Uh, my father farmer oh wow okay and uh, my mother was uh, a farmer and uh, he also started a little ski area he built two ski lifts and and to to have to make a better living there, so my father, my mother helped him. He, she, uh, uh, let us grow up. Or how do you say? How do you say she? She was uh, a mother. Yeah, yeah. She, In uh, first, yeah, yeah. first case, first, first she was job a mother. Was mother. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was her job. And then, her and then she also worked. Uh, that doesn't matter if you are a countess or not. She yeah. worked. Uh, in the r- in the restaurant of the ski lift and made coffees and served people and and uh, loved it and when she came home at night she was smelling like uh, because everybody smoked oh, at that time yeah, yeah, yeah. so she was really smoky so uh, it was it was a, a life everybody else lived right. you know we were not the the count family doing something or doing nothing right yeah. So everybody had to work to survive. (laughs) And so um, did you uh, go to work at like the ski area at some point in your life? Were you involved with that? Yeah, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. my dad asked me, please take care that not everybody's going in first, that they make a row. You know, in in Europe and in Austria, we are not so, uh, so well 
um, organized as here. Like when you see a restaurant, a museum, yeah. everybody's lining up. Yeah, we have a queue. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. queue? Yeah. In Europe, everybody wants to be first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everybody so wants to be first here too, <laughs> but we figured out by putting some barriers. So, so um, I, as a boy, was obliged to say, oh, well, gentlemen, You're please... Like the bouncer. Please go back, yeah? <laughs> and they looked at me being a little child and said, who are you? Why Why do you tell us what to do? Yeah. But so I, I helped out at the ski lift in the, in the beginning and I went into the cattle uh, stall mm -hmm. to bring the, to get the warm milk in the morning, the cow warm milk. So that was, for me, that was just how it was. I never knew a uh, uh, refrigerated tea, wow. tea, I don't know what, milk. The milk came directly from the cow and still warm into our kitchen. Wow. Yeah, so that... And it was gone it, that it day, It was right? really yeah. a, f a farm farmer's life. See, as I love this because I had all these preconceived notions, mm -hmm. as we all do. That's that's something we everybody does. But you, you hear count, right? You don't think farmer. You don't think... Like he built the he built this thing. Like you don't mm -hmm. think someone work you don't think of someone working with their hands. Yeah. Like you said, right? So like a count counts for nothing. <laughs> like, but you had a, it, on one level, you lived like um, working class life. Your family worked, of course, and and worked with their hands. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so when you're a carpenter, you can only work with your hands. Right. You know. Yeah. You're carving. You're sewing. You're but but uh, it's great. I, I, I always loved to create things, to have something solid in my hands and to be proud of what what I did. I love it. And um, <coughs> you also mentioned you were you were the youngest of the children. So mm -hmm. uh, how were your siblings? Because here in America, like sometimes the uh, you either have they absolutely love you because you're the baby. Or like they kind of pick on you, so like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that worked also with us. So my my eldest sister, she's about eight years older than me. Mm -hmm. She kind of protected me, and the other ones were just uh, rushing me around, say if you want to play with us or if you want to be with us, you first go and get <laughs> this or do that. <laughs> so. That's like in every family, that I think. It's isn't that amazing? How, yeah, yeah. how how some things are just the same no matter where you go. Right? Uh -huh, <laughs> that's, uh -huh. that's so great. All right, and so, um, what were some of the things that you you got, did you guys farm? Did your father farm to sell, or just farm? That's how, for you guys for your own consumption, or a little bit of both? Uh, both. Okay. Um, we had uh, that was back in Corinthia mm -hmm. where I grew up. We had like uh, twenty cattle, and and we were farming. Um, grain and 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 mice and uh, I don't know if you've seen mice corn yeah oh uh, ma yeah, yeah maize yeah maize yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. and um, so it was not he himself mm -hmm. by himself but we had like three four people and also in the forest people who worked with us but also my father was every day he g got up really <laughs> early and he was in the fields or mm -hmm. in the forest so. He was with them. He was not just advising them. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, growing up, <coughs> parents worked a lot, worked hard. Um, 
was uh, wine a part of your family? So, um, like, when you would have a meal, maybe on Sunday or whatever, was wine kind of around when you were growing up? Yes, but not as it is today, okay. because um, so the, the the wine production was uh, already at that time in in northern Italy. Mm -hmm. We lived in Austria. There was a border when we took our own wine from Italy to Austria. We had to pay taxes okay. for our own <coughs> wine. So I never understood that. It's my wine. I am producing it. Why do I have to pay taxes to bring it to my mom? Right. Yeah? That's wild. So um, in my childhood, not necessarily we had wine every day. Okay. And uh, I got more and more used to the, the proper use of wine. Uh, when I was grown up. So, by the way, your glass is empty. Can, oh. I, can I give you <coughs> some sure, more? Sure, you have a little bit more of that. Why not? Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And so you grew up in a family farming and working with your hands, um, and then you went to university. So where did you go to university? I went to university in Germany okay. uh, to a wine university. So, you did, so okay. I sti studied enology. Okay. Since I didn't grow up in the wine region, mm -hmm. I was not too much connected to it. Okay. To farming, yes, but not to uh, grape farming. So I uh, first I did a practice at another estate, mm -hmm. and then um, I studied viticulture and enology uh, for three and a half years. And then I came to uh, to California for a year for my first practice year or internship. Mm -hmm. Where did you internship in California? Um, I tried at Robert Mondavi because in 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 Europe you think uh, he's the god of winemaking in it uh, in, yeah. in in California. Uh, he was very nice and he gave me the chance of one week spending with his whole team, but uh, he had a waiting list for three years, I think. Yeah. So I ended up in the more southern part of California, in the St. Ines Valley, yeah. which is a beautiful area. I lived in Santa Barbara for 10 years. Oh, yeah. So I know Santa Ines wine country, yeah. Uh, so I, I lived in Solvang, in the little Danish capital. Yeah, with the windmill. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked in uh, Lompoc at uh, Babcock Vineyards. A great, oh, my God. Great guy. Oh, my God, everybody. I don't, it's just come, you, he comes up from time to time. You know Brian? Brian Babcock is yeah. the man. I think Brian Babcock, is one of the most underrated winemakers in California, actually, because the so much of the focus um, has always been on Napa and Sin mm -hmm. Napa mm -hmm. and Sonoma, but more Napa. Let's be honest. Like I said, mm -hmm. Mondavi is the first place you went, but Brian Babcock was in San Ynez, uh, actually in Lompoc, exactly before it was Santa Rita Hills, right? Which is the which is the new. Appalachian. Before sideways. Before sideways. <laughs> way before sideways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and makes everything I got ever had from this killer. Um uh his 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 you know, Chardonnay, his Pinot Noir, his Syrah, his blends. Um and talk about him because I've heard from other people like he's one of the most generous people. Like he just will pour his knowledge into you. Was that something you Yes, got? yes. So I I I talked to friends, they talked to friends again, and then we found Brian who said, well, he, he just finished Davis Wine University mm -hmm. at that time, and his father and his grandmother were still there, and he said, ah, okay, let's try it. You can work for me. You get a 
Now I'm not. W I don't want to get politically incorrect, right. but he said, "Oh, you get the loan of the Mexicans yeah. and you start to work." Yeah. And so I did, and it, they were like my family, and yeah. it was uh, great. And uh, after half a year, I said, <coughs> "Brian, uh, with this loan, I can't really." do many <laughs> steps <laughs> so and he said well I want you to stay here so uh, you get a little more <laughs> and I was there for eight nine months and had a great time great experience because after some weeks he said okay I'm going to sell my wines now in in uh, Los Angeles and Santa Monica and so and you stay at the winery I give you I, I tell you what to do mm -hmm. so from from out of the wine school, I was in charge of the wine cellar, and it was a really great opportunity for me to to learn the work of winemaking. And uh, we are still friends. We hear each other m once a year or twice a year when I go back to California. If I'm not tied down with work in Los Angeles mm -hmm. or San Francisco, then I <coughs> go and visit him, and we chat because he's... Uh, He's uh, not only a good winemaker, he's also very concerned about uh, sustainable uh, grape growing and new systems, and he's a very, a very good guy. I love that. I, I, and I love that I didn't know that. That's what's so <laughs> great about these conversations. So you went to you went to the uh, wine school, knowledge school, yes. because uh, your uncle had been run running the uh, estate, estate before, yeah, yeah. and. But he ran with his team the estate. Uh -huh. But uh, at that time, the wine was made at a, a co-op. Okay. So we sold the grape to a co-op, and uh, that was not my dream because then you don't have your hands on uh, the quality. Yep. So, um, but that was at that time, yeah. And how long had uh, had it been in your family? Uh, more than 400 years. Okay, so this. So, so I have a, I have a, I have a, a receipt of uh, wine we sold mm -hmm. from 1684, I think. And um, but wine was sold bulk at that time, and not even put into bottles. I think it was in hoses or in in uh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever they could carry yeah, it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and how did they come upon it? Was it was this was this like granted to them by Catherine of Hapburg, or or did they buy it? Like how? Like because that that you're going way back. Well, um, we talked most 1684. Of, most of our estate, I think, was achieved and bought by my ancestors. Okay. The Maninco estate itself, which is like now the core of our of our estate um that was bought from my uncle but the Manningcore family so the name origins back to the Manningcore family and Manningcore means hand on heart mm. but it's a family name and uh, we were since 1663 related to the Manningcore family because one of my grand-grand-grandfathers married a Manningcore daughter, something like that. I but but we had to buy the wine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> <but that's> so, <laughs> um, so, so we get to establish a timeline. 
when were you uh when did you intern at babcock in california it was 86 to 87 okay 86 87 all right so after your time with brian what did you do next then i it was the time when i moved to alto adige to okay. northern italy because before i was in germany studying mm -hmm. and in austria in school and um so since i didn't know any italian at that time and since i didn't have more experiences as studying and the one year at Babcock. I uh, went to Venice for an Italian crash course and then uh, to a, a wine, another wine school, but to work there and to get used to Italian. Mm -hmm. And after one year, I started at another a great uh, wine producer in our area, which name is Alois Lageda, and he gave me the chance to run his uh, wine retail shop. Or it was an enoteca where we sold uh, international wines. So I really got more understanding about uh, the local wines, the Italian wines, international wines, how people react. So more for also for marketing and for service. And I think that my greatest experience besides Brian Babcock as a person and, and all the friends I met in the United States was the, 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 the art of servicing. And in, in Europe, service didn't have the <coughs> same uh, level so today at my estate, uh, the people who work for me, the first thing I really tell them is we need to be the best in service. So even if people come and ask for a wine we don't have, give them our best service. Even if it's sending it to our neighbor, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't harm us. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's for me the key I, I learned in, in, in California. That's so interesting because um, in my mind I know, like say in, pa in Paris, right? Mm -hmm. In Paris, uh, being a, a waiter or a garçon, it's, it's actually a respected profession and it's kind of like handed down. Mm -hmm. I found it interesting that you, like, that you felt that the level of service was actually higher here though. It, um, why? Why do you think that was? Is it because it's like you got the job, it's legacy, they, they, they just took it for granted? Or what, what do you think? No, I, was, I, I, I just thought the attention of a service person mm -hmm. to the customer, mm -hmm. to the client, to the guest. I, I remember, uh, and that was before mobile phones and this know, time, you know, know. <laughs> and <laughs> for computers. Yeah. Um, I, I got to a winery in Napa, I have to think about the name, Farniente was the name. Yes. And as a young guy, 25 years, I said, well, can I come and visit? And then I arrived and there was a big pin board with mm -hmm. where you put in the letters by hand and it said, welcome Mr. Goes Enzenberg. And I was, no, they did <laughs> only for me, <laughs> you know? But and they spelled it right. <laughs> and they spelled it right. And that for me was extraordinary service for a young man who, who is not important. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I was important. 
I get and it. I think that's that's the cure. Yeah, that made you really made you feel special and welcomed. Mm-hmm. And I like the word you. I mean, and it's guests, right? I like I prefer guests over like clients mm-hmm. or customers. Yes. yes, you know, it sets a different tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so awesome. So you you work for so let's let's back up. Um, okay, after after this time at the at the Enoteca, mm-hmm. um, my uncle was uh, thought I was ready to take over the family estate. So that was when I was thirty years young, and to me it was a big chance after my experiences to to take it over. So um, I had to look, I wanted to look at the potentials, they were there, and I said, uh, I really want to make more than grow grapes, I want to make great wine. So step by step, I replanted uh, many vineyards, because we had uh, one dominating variety at that time, which was way too much. Which was that? That th- that was the variety Schiava, which Schiava. now mm-hmm. is fashionable <coughs> again. Right, At right. that time, it was a mass product, and nobody really cared. Now it's a specialty, and now many people love it for its uh, lightness, freshness as a red wine. So, of course, we still kept uh, some, and it's important for us. But so I replanted many vineyards, and uh, and that I started at the estate in '91, and '96 we were ready to make our first wine. So the first vintage with Maninko label on the market was uh, 1996. So, um, what is uh, talk about the region where your winery is located? Um, because I think it's fascinating because in the United States we have like we have we have we have states and and you know we have we have 48 that are continuous mm-hmm. and you know but like in Europe you have countries that border each other yeah exactly <laughs> so it was Austria okay until 1918 wow and then uh it's always the same after wars or so they start to negotiate mm-hmm. and so it was negotiated between uh, I think at, at that time already Hitler and, and uh, Mussolini right and so um, it was handed over to Italy so the roots and the tradition was Tyrolean Austrian but all of a sudden everybody had to speak Italian uh, the names had to be transformed to an Italian name mm. and it it uh, was very difficult for the families because uh, they said if you want to stay here you become Italian if you don't want it you go to Austria or Germany you get land there and everything and and uh, so get out of the country and so the families were completely torn because one uh, young man said, I can't leave my uh, father's ground. I can't leave my, my patria, my, my home. And the other one said, are you crazy? You can't become Italian. They are our enemies. Yeah? yeah. And so it really families cracked and 
Some went to Austria and Germany. They never got was what they were promised. Yeah, that doesn't that typically doesn't happen. And then after a while, when they were when they had nothing, when they wanted to come back, the brothers and sisters said, "Ah, now you're coming back. Now you're begging. Mm. Why did you go away?" So it r it was really difficult time until. When I moved there in, in 87 after, after California, uh, and when I drove from Bolzano to Merano, which is only uh, 20 kilometers, I was stopped three times by the carabinieri, by a form of police, mm -hmm. and they controlled <laughs> the car if I would have a little bomb or something in my car because there were still some aggressions between... In 1987. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end, it's, it's very harmless. So in the end, many families are completely bilingual. Uh, for them, it's equal. Some, I don't know, more stubborn families yeah. or some <laughs> families, they just uh, stick to their roots and not looking forward. They say, no, we are Italians. And if you talk to me, you have to talk Italian. Or the other one says, I'm old Austrian, and if you want to talk to me, you talk in German. So, But they are the minority. Yeah. So everything is very peaceful now. Uh, we are kind of uh, politically um, not negotiated, but kept as an example between Italy and Austria. So just two days ago, I saw in the news that uh, Miss Meloni, who is the Prime Minister of Italy and the Austrian Prime Minister, that they had a, a good meeting and uh, Südtirol was one of their main discussions. So it's still, uh, they are still looking for the situation that we, are, we can live there a good life. And we do have a good life, not only because the country is beautiful, also because it's a quite wealthy area because all the Germans come to this part of Italy to make vacations because it's easy. They can still order their beer in German <laughs> and uh, or wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, often we are, we are used as an example for other regions where they are torn mm -hmm. between different uh, ethnic uh, uh, situations. How how you can manage it well to 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 live a good life. I, I um, it's something that I think a lot of us in the United States take for granted, because, and it sounds as if, um, the winery was not was how badly was the winery affected during the World Wars? Obviously, like you said, there was there was some shift, but like, you know, in France, wineries were affected by the World Wars. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Do you does your any history of your family like do they have to stop production? Did did people try and seize stuff? And was anything? Do you know? Uh well, at at that time, like in the in the nineteen forties fifties, so they couldn't go to to the regular school anymore, mm. and and also some producing. Um, facilities were shut down and renewed and and uh, Italians brought in. But in the end, I think 
everything is good. Yeah. So what what is affecting us much more is our wonderful landscape, our beautiful mountains, the Dolomites. Yeah. Which so are tell people like huge so attraction. Like Alta DJ, right? The Dolomites. Like yeah. tell people like. It's like one of the great mountain ranges of the world. I, I understand, but it's like it's like the Rockies for for United okay. States, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It so it's it's part of the Alps, okay, between Austria and Italy. So they're like the frontier between Austria and Italy, and uh, this part of the Alps is called Dolomites. Uh, it's all chalky, so white uh, mountain rocks. There's now is that natural or is that the snow? I mean, is that no, no, that's natural. That's wow. Yeah, uh, natural since millions of yeah, years. Yeah, so but I'm yeah, <laughs> I'm not a good <laughs> geologist. So, um, but but uh, it's fascinating, and they are also a UNESCO uh, World Heritage. So it's protected. Yeah, protected. Yeah. And one of the most known places are like the they are called in in Italian they are called the, the Tre Cime. It's like three towers, mm -hmm. uh, natural towers. So um, if you want to walk there now, uh, you find many, many, many people from Asia or so with slippers in the mountains <laughs> yeah, because they were they are brought there with uh, with buses <laughs> just to make a photo. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, for, so for the for Instagram. Yeah, yeah for Instagram. <laughs> So it, it changes uh, also a lot in, in the area, this this kind of tourism. So, But tourism is very important for us. So people come from basically from uh, the nearer countries, but also a lot of Americans who come there for skiing, for hiking, for cycling, great, great path for, for bicycling, uh, bicycling and, uh, and for... for especially also for the good food yeah. because since we are in the middle of two cultures the austrian and the italian culture the food preparation is very much influenced uh, with italian food and has some austrian aspects so there are so many fantastic restaurants and even if you go on a mountain tip in a little hut uh, nowadays a young guy there is uh, perfect in preparing you something uh, from tail to nose. Like mm -hmm. uh, they don't open a can anymore. Yeah. They really do a perfect job. So people admire and love the good food, the good wines, the good air, fresh water. We can drink water from the water tap and it's completely untreated. Mm. So the the most fresh mountain spring water I get out of my water tub <laughs> in my house. So we are really blessed uh, to live there and to work there. The, it, it all makes sense why now why Nestle bought up all the world's water. Because <laughs> over in that part of the country, uh, the world, it's free. We're over in America. We're buying water all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, and I, I love what you said, you shared about these regions, especially these wine regions that mm -hmm. are between two countries, kind of reminded me of Alsace. Like when you're between two regions, it's like, and it, and it actually enhances everything, right? Because there's the sharing of mm -hmm. cultures and cuisines and ideas. Well, for the wine, it 
it makes it beautiful and difficult at the same time mm -hmm. because we don't have like in Bordeaux or in uh, Burgundy only two varieties yeah. because everything is on the same sea level. Mm -hmm. uh, our wines go from, now I have to translate in, 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 uh, in, uh, in inches or in, so it's, like from meters. it's from 200 to 1200 meters. Okay. So that makes it 600 feet to 4000 yep. feet yep. where we grow wine. And uh, that gives a huge range from of varieties. So in the warmer located areas, and even if it's in the Alps, we get the warm winds from the south. So Bolzano, our little capital, is often the hottest town in Italy. And then backed up with the mountains. So in the mountains, we get the cool breezes from the mountains. And this tension between warm and cool, between Mediterranean climate and Alpine climate, makes the interesting climate for our wine growing and for the wines. So we have even our red wines a uh, little more crispy and, and uh, uh, more elegant and less tannic as wines from other regions which are much warmer and don't have the Alps. And uh, our white wines are uh, very mineralic through the soil, so they can age really well. One special thing is that our white wines can even age better than the reds, mm. which is unusual. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's, why, why did you, how did you come up with the blend for the white wine? Because you know in America um, we do single, you know it's Chardonnay. It's, yeah. it's typically one varietal. First, first of all, because we have so many varieties <laughs> that can grow well. Yeah, and you don't necessarily want to make uh, thirty different wines at the winery, and people have no and and you lose identity a little bit. I I agree. So um, this white wine, being made with Pinot Blanc, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon is the typical blend for a village where we have part of our vineyards okay. and it's called Terlan. And Terlan is known exactly for this blend or monovarietal wines of these three varieties as Pinot Blanc or Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and it's the soil that gives the wine basically the character. It's a red porphyric rock, which is a volcanic stone. Mm -hmm. Um, and that uh, nutrients or influences the wine. So we will love to see that the soil and our philosophy uh, is creating the wine rather than an oak barrel and, uh, and fertilizers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's no. a completely different story. Yeah, no, we're going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When we, when we talk about... Um, Sorry when I'm too fast. You're not. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's perfect. Um, and you know what? Now, now might be a time to take a quick break because um, I think um, I'm going to get the count rolling and he's just going to go. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in a little bit, everybody. Okay, we're back. So we were talking you were talking about the soil you were talking about the the typicity of the blend for that region um and 
you know, uh, when I was doing your intro, we talked about um, you were the one to who wanted to and decided to stop selling the grape to the co-ops and produce the state wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about your uncle, and he thought you were ready to take over 30. What Did he know what your plan was when, when, when you were taking the reins? or um, I had a plan. Okay. But... Um, Changes uh, 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 <laughs> part of the plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I had the plan that uh, I wanted to make some really nice and elegant and as natural as possible wines. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there were many changes in, in around us also that made me and us correcting a little bit, but. The master plan was there, and we are on a good way. And today I'm happy and proud that uh, my wines are also here poured by the glass in, in uh, good New York restaurants. I mean, that's the dream of every winemaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, so w- um, when you first began in 91, mm-hmm. um, Was it first you, you talk about replanning? Was it where did you go right to biodynamic? Like what was like? Okay, no. Okay. Um, I, as I told you before, I grew up on a farm yep. in the forest, yep. and that was very natural. Yep. Um, and when I came after studying viticulture and enology, we were taught uh, another way. Yeah. <laughs> And nobody was talking about organic at that time. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to go back more to a natural way to um, um, to to take out uh, herbicides and things like this. But everybody who was more experienced as I am said, "No, you can't do that. You will lose uh, crop and you will lose quality and." Uh, and I said, I, I just don't think so. Yeah. And then after some years where I was getting a little bit into that direction, but I didn't really uh, dare to make the big step, I um, happened to meet uh, a gentleman whose name is Andrew Laurent, and he's uh, a little bit Swiss, a little bit Hungarian, a little bit American, so he was... 20 years in California <coughs> teaching biodynamics and he gave me the the confidence that if we are doing it right if we are seeing organic and biodynamic uh, um, way of uh, living and of working in the right way which means don't just let things go be aware and be in control of what's happening, but let's happen. Um, Then we converted, and that was 2005, the whole estate to biodynamic principles. But he was following me at least for 10 years, uh, teaching my whole team in the beginning uh, about natural cycles and about uh, that we are living in a pharmacy. We only have to know which plant at what at what moment is good for what, in which doses. And um, so today we are 
treating our vineyards basically with uh, with herbs and with teas and with uh, also a little bit of kappa and sulfur, which is also uh, um, allowed in in uh, well, organic sulfur growing. is a naturally occurring yes, compound. Yes, I think yes, that, yes. that's something that actually. But, but the uh, less you use, the oh, better no, it absolutely, is. Absolutely, absolutely. But absolutely. sometimes you need a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we we are, I don't know. So we are we are spraying uh, stinging nettle tea, or we are spraying chamomile tea, or or using the biodynamic preparates, which for some people it it sounds and it looks completely crazy yeah i mean this, uh, let's talk about yeah. this right <laughs> because um separating uh, you know separating out um the waldorf schools and rudolf steiner is kind of mm-hmm. a he's an interesting person read some of the stuff mm-hmm. um um the, the but to the farming like for you as someone who practices biodynamic would you kind of break down for people um there's a couple things you said, but let's let's start with um, the you said um, you, the purest expression of wine, right? So now, mm-hmm. or, or the most natural expression. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, well, let's do organic versus biodynamic, and then we'll get into natural because natural is an interesting thing in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you probably are aware right now. It, yeah, that's what people call natural today in wine is uh, is uh, just uh, another way of winemaking yeah yeah um, organic in in general is you don't use chemicals okay and then there are many ways you can do minimum organic just to have the the, 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 the certification the, the certification yeah, right which uh, is not better than I tell people all the time that doesn't yeah. you have to know actually who's farming it and how they're farming it because exactly. there's, there's yeah. people like why pay for something that you've already been doing or have done that makes no sense I mean some people don't have the certification and work way more organic exactly. than, than others yeah. yeah yeah but it's just a question of of yourself how mm-hmm. how you how you feel working uh, biodynamic is a more holistic way to do it. It's uh, more uh, you you are concerning or you you follow more the natural cycles, and if you go with the natural cycles, it's just easier as going against them. Um, I don't want to become too scientific because it doesn't help. Um, I think uh, biodynamic growing first of all you have to to live it you have to feel it and say i'm convinced this is good for the future mm-hmm. and then um you um it, it's like it's the the perfect translation of homeopathic medicine for us human beings Kay. for the nature for the cu- uh, for the cultivated plants so the the first thing you do you do is you uh, are looking for good food and good food in our case is good soil so we do mm. a lot we work a lot on the soil to become uh, more vivacious to to uh, have more uh, microorganisms and animals in and on the soil so the soil gets richer feeds the plant healthier and better and then the immunity system uh, gets stronger and the plants don't have to become sick. 
So that's that's the way of thinking. Yeah. So, and and it's very similar to us human beings. When we live a regular life, when we eat healthy, we have the best potential to uh, get old healthier. Yeah. We don't want to die healthy because that doesn't work <laughs> or it doesn't <laughs> help. Uh, but uh, but um, to to stay healthy and that's what we do uh, for our plants. So the major concern is to have a good soil uh, with lots of humus because that balances also today's uh, weather extremes. And with climate change doesn't mean only hotter. It means more extreme weathers, right? Floodings, right? Heat, drought, things like that. Snow on Napa Valley this year. Yeah, all the rain. And now, now the whole Napa Valley is in flowers. Yeah, which usually, or even the south of California, yeah. which usually is a desert. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's the that's the great thing in nature. Yeah. Sometimes you think you are at the time on the wrong place because it's too dry or too wet but all over the world it's always in balance that's amazing some are hurt yeah. and some are in a better condition yeah and and we try to to prepare our soil with cover crop with compost with natural things um, so that the, the, the humus in the soil is like a sponge is 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 uh, balancing out these uh, extremes and like last year was a very dry year also in our area. Many wine growers around me suffered of, of uh, um, shrinking grapes before they were riping. And me having the same conditions, but we worked for 20 years on, on our soil to become better for the future, uh, we didn't have the problem. Wow. So our we had perfect ripe grapes and we were happy and lucky and uh, great wines and some others suffered more. And that's the clue to me of biodynamic and sustainable growing that you prepare the soil which is the food for all plants to 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 be um, more alive, uh, more drained, more uh, has more capacity to to catch these extreme situations, and um, so everything we do is about balance, balance for the vineyards, balance for the people, and. I hope balanced wine. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Your, your glass is empty no, again. Well, I think we're going to so do it. It seems to be good. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to try some of the red. Okay. Let's try that. Um, and it is beautiful white wine. I was just thinking. And it's very, in, it's a super interesting wine. Um, so I'm try, trying to figure out some of the notes. I mean, obviously, there's some citrus notes, but there was almost like, which I. I don't know if I've ever gotten in a white wine, almost like an anise, like a licorice quality, which maybe, mm -hmm. it, could be, maybe it could be just my palate. Uh, could just be because it's, it's an early one. Or just saltiness, kind of yeah. a saltiness, which yeah. is the minerality. Yeah. But you know, everybody 
we we can we can describe wines, we can describe mm. taste, but everybody has another taste. Absolutely. So that's why people like different wines, yep. and that's good. So because uh, nobody produces enough wine for the world, <laughs> so so uh, in the end, if everybody finds, if we talk about wine, yep. if everybody finds the wine that does him good, and the wine shows your body immediately. If you drink wine, if you taste it, and if you think you like it, usually the wine does you good. If you, with the first sip, think, oh, <coughs> I don't know, then you better don't drink it, and then you're in a better shape. I like that. <coughs> I mean, you're like you, it's, that goes to what you said about uh, you have to live biodynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, it's all about feedback and listening, right? So yes, that is a very interesting thing um, that your body is sending you a message sometimes you don't really like a wine. I never thought of that. I know I've had cocktails where I'm like, nope, not drinking mm -hmm. that. Because mm -hmm. I know. Like, you feel it the I next feel like, morning. Yeah, I'm like, if it was a big cocktail. I was like, nope, uh, that's going to be bad tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but your body would tell you so many things if you are able to listen to the body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but we kind of uh, rush too much. We are uh, focused on work on I don't know anything. So we we forget to to listen to to ourselves and to our body uh, to stay healthy. Um, that is the truth and you're right i mean here in the states you come and visit you've lived here you've seen it it's gotten worse like now we have what's called hustle culture and just people are going 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 mm -hmm. and just um and there's people who say stuff like oh sleep is for suckers or i'll i'll sleep when i'm dead i'm like you're gonna be dead if you don't get any some if you don't <laughs> get any sleep um so let's talk about so we have the red wine in our glass Yes. Which is uh, Merlot, Legrin, and also was a Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon, yes. Um, beautiful nose. But every, so I'm here people often think when they hear about this wine, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, they think, oh, that needs to be a heavy and concentrated mm -hmm. wine. So we never produce concentrated wines. Even my highest quality red wine is always... Um, fruity, fruit-driven and not oak-driven, mm -hmm. if, even if it uh, matures two years in oak barrels. Um, and they are always juicy, so approachable, so that you can easily drink them. They do have tannins, they, but usually when we pick the grape, we don't look at the sugar contents. Mm -hmm. We look at the physiological ripeness, which means the ripeness of the wood, of the seeds, of the yep, skins, right. and that gives you a balanced and uh, soft tannins, but tannins. Tannins for a red wine are important, for some less, for some more. And uh, so also here, also in our red wines, we our, our style, I would say, for all our wines, if they are Merlot or Pinot Noir, if they are Schiava or Pinot Blanc is always more a Burgundian style, mm -hmm. which you can do also with Cabernet Sauvignon, mm -hmm. Cabernet Franc. Um, 
So it's more the elegance and the finesse and the balance in the wine than a huge wine, which uh, after a glass you say, thank you, I had enough. <laughs> I want you to enjoy more than one glass. <laughs> it's better for business, too. Uh, of course. Legrand, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, please uh, kind of describe that grape to people who may not have heard it. Cause I have people who are, like, who are in the industry for decades who listen mm -hmm. to that, people who are new to wine. And they, I love Legrand, by the way, but so some we people have, We have three indigenous varieties in our little area. Uh, one is white, and it's Gewürztraminer. Uh, many people think, oh, that's the wine from Alsace. Right. Yeah, but Tramin is the next town to Caldaro. I know. My hometown. Yeah. I didn't know it was next to Caldaro, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, I, it's I, knew, it's I knew it's named after yeah. the town, Tramin. Okay. So uh, this is one of the indigenous varieties, and the others are both red, a very light red, which is Schiava. It's only in Italian. It's called Schiava. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why they translated it like this. Maybe because once it carried a lot of grapes, so a high yield, Okay, yeah, so it was a workhorse grape they used. Now, it now it's back to lower yield. And, um, and in, in German or in Austrian, we call it Fanatsch, the variety. Mm -hmm. But especially here, in, in also in the United States or internationally, it always uh, it is known under the name Schiava yeah. and the appellation. If it comes from Santa Maddalena or, or Lago di Caldaro or something like this. So it, that's a very light and refreshing red wine that you also uh, drink chilled, like and almost like a Beaujolais, almost. Uh, almost, almost. Yeah. I mean, and and you yeah. you drink it with Mediterranean light food, with fish dishes, with everything. And Lagrain is the darkest of all our varieties. It's darker than Merlot and Cabernet mm -hmm. Sauvignon, but not necessarily. It has to be heavy, so it's a dark variety. It's a, a very flowerful mm -hmm. um, aromas if you let them be that, because if you work too much in the winery, uh, you, lo you lose these uh, beautiful um, aromas and you get more tannins because the skins are very thin when you harvest. So when you do too much in the winery, when you push down and, and manipulate uh, uh, them too much, then you get harsh tannins, you get rustic uh, tannins, and then the wine can be a little bit rough. If you treat him gentle like a Pinot Noir, then you get wonderful flavors and uh, velvet uh, tannins. So it's, it's a question of you can give exactly the same grape into five winemakers' hands, and they make you completely different wines. So our style is more the the gentle touch and the, the, the elegance and the, the uh, aromatic uh, wines, even for reds. Why did you decide to go that route? I mean, it's just interesting, like. Uh, it's a personal. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Very personal. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like well, <laughs> I think um, you can do well only how you live and how you think and who, who you are. Mm. So if you want to make wines, first of all, you like to drink <laughs> and you like to enjoy mm -hmm. and not for, let's say, Robert Parker, who is a 
wonderful or who for a long period was he made the number yeah, one yeah. judge for wines. Yeah, yeah. But people thought, oh, I need to make a concentrated wine yeah. so it gets 100 points from yeah. Robert Parker. Yeah. Yeah? So that's not so important. Um, for me, it's important that the, the wine expresses the individuality of your estate and of, of the people and the, the character of the not only the owner but of the people who work with you in with your philosophy and also an elegant wine can get a higher vote today many of the people who who uh, give points to yep, the wines are mm -hmm. uh, stepping back and uh, uh, going more versus the the elegance the finesse the the drinkability of wines. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think uh, everything is cyclical on on certain parts of the business, and I think we're just in a time where um, you know where where it's 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 moving away from the Parker era, and there's also more people reviewing wines, like you said. So I mean, no, and, and more and more people just care about quality. Yeah. In every aspect clothing yeah not so many not me buy so much people but you buy <laughs> cheap clothes anymore yeah. you rather buy one good piece yeah. and keep it for a long time absolutely and be happy with yeah. it yeah. Uh, with food with look at all the coffee shops or at the uh, chocolate makers <laughs> or every who works meat yeah oh yeah the, the more precise yeah, and yeah. it's it's exact always the same yeah the more um precise you work the more clean you work the more you keep the primary quality and that's the same for almost everything speaking of what you mentioned food and we were talking about butchers <laughs> what would be some of the typical cuisine so you mentioned like with schiava to be chilled, serve with Mediterranean cuisine, even though mm -hmm. uh, you're not that close to the Mediterranean where you're at. Um, what would be like a pairing for like this white wine? Uh, this white wine to me goes like regional, like yeah. yeah. So uh, right now is the the end of the time of asparagus. Yeah, and mm. for asparagus, asparagus is a very fine uh, vegetable, mm -hmm. so uh, it doesn't require intense wines. Yeah. So that goes really well with, for instance, seasonal now with asparagus or with uh, seafood risotto. Mm. Let's say we had yesterday we had a wonderful risotto. So a, a decent seafood uh, risotto. So things like this. I, I don't want to uh, put uh, draw a long list now. Oh my God! But it's also it's yeah. also good as an aperitif wine. Yep. Um, I would say it's a wine for many many occasions. It's not right. Doesn't have one focus. Yeah. Well, you know they we say what grows together goes together. So I was just trying to get a sense, and I love I love again your philosophy. Of living the biodynamic, like like what's in season right now, and asparagus is is notoriously hard to pair with, uh, for a lot of psalms. It's notorious, mm -hmm. so it's great to, you know, there's there's a fantastic thing we can really eat uh, a lot out of our vineyard. 
So in, in winter time, just after snow and snow in our uh, elevation mm. uh, comes, but doesn't stay long. Mm. And then there's a little moisture and then we get this little lettuce, this little salad. Um, I don't know they tell, uh, the, the, the English name, but we can, we get it in January and February out of our vineyards. We just, before lunch, we walk uh, 15 minutes, which, which, which is also healthy after yeah, office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we collect our salad from the vineyard, bring it to the kitchen, some olive oil, some vinegar, done. Mm. Uh, at the moment, last week, uh, we heard about something new and we tried it immediately. So now the, the, the vines uh, are starting to grow and the, the shoots are like... Uh, one to to three inches, mm -hmm. so we we have to break uh, out about half of the shoots, so it, it it's uh, be better ventilated and not too much crop, and these very short uh, shoots, the tips of the vine grapevine, we made a pesto out of them. Wow! With, with some olive oil, with some walnuts because they grow on our estate mm -hmm. so it was like uh, farm to table but only 50 meters which <laughs> is uh, you know it's it's just in front of our house it's like it's like backyard to table and that's the best feeling you can have uh, wow. we are so grateful my wife and me we are so happy that we have this chance to eat like that yeah. that we can uh, have this we have our own sheep so poor male sheep they're always they they're too many yeah so we have the the, the male lambs after six months uh, we don't uh, let them uh, fight to each other we we bring them to the butcher and then we have the best meat i would say this would go really good with some lamb that goes really well <laughs> and and also lagrain yeah goes really well with uh, lamb or even with with uh, um what deer how oh yeah we, 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 we uh, called um venison venison yeah it's so funny it's deer yeah. we, we call it venison makes it <laughs> yeah. yeah so this go go game i was also so i was wondering like what is like uh so uh well obviously lamb uh, the sheep because they they go through your vineyards right and they, 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 they work our vineyard for us they they feed the vineyard with their manure they they uh, work the soil they Right now, when the shoots are young, they can't be there because that They'll eat everything. that's their favorite. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. they would eat it all. <laughs> so right now, they're in a forest and in an other orchard where they uh, can't reach the, the young shoots. And then a little later, we can. Br it's always management. We can bring them back when the shoots are already long. Mm -hmm. And it's a very small race of uh, sheep. They're called croissant sheep. And then they reach up to the lowest um, leaves and they eat the lowest leaves. Otherwise, we have to break them out by hand. Mm. So it's a matter of, of, of uh, the right moment. Mm -hmm. And so they do a wonderful work for you. Yeah. And even more than that, the main thing why we have uh, sheep and, and chicken in our vineyards is they bring back the, the anima, the soul, the, the animal soul. And um, 
we can see it also with uh, the people who work for us mm -hmm. and they are really strong people because they have to carry also weight and everything but as soon as the animals are there and as soon as they see little um, little lambs mm -hmm. they are melting away <laughs> and it's just harmony again it's wonderful yeah so uh, uh, soil agriculture without animals to me is is dead soil mm. you need life in your soil on your soil mm. i mean you can't have sheep everywhere but you have to find the right thing for your soil that's also the individuality that was one thing that uh, rudolf steiner many people think he only told one one direction but he always said the farm individuality is the value every farm every farmer has other chances other possibilities other potentials and if everybody uses his own good potentials then it's good see i never heard that i love that thank you for sharing that and that's really good um i was thinking while you were sharing um and i'm listening but also thinking what is so we know in italy certain regions are known for certain cuisines right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um like what is you know prosciutto di parma or you know parmigiano reggiano what is like that area the out you know the re region you're in on that border is there anything that it's known for that people when they mm -hmm. come they're going to have like a signature dish you know i mean yeah. is there anything like that what is it yeah it's uh it's uh there is two, three. Mm -hmm. um, one is a, fort, a sort of, in German we say knödel. I think it's pumplings, or how do you call them? Oh, uh, dumplings. Dumplings, yep. yes. Mm -hmm. uh, dumplings. Or gnocchi? No, no bigger. Dump, bigger, okay. Dumplings. dumplings, okay. They're big, like, can be big, like, uh, small okay. fist. Yeah, wow. And um, there is one, they, they are based on, on bread. So okay. an old bread, which is too old to eat it for breakfast, mm -hmm. then you chop it in pieces, you uh, put it in water and some milk, and then you add something like speck yep. uh, to it and some um, herbs. So the, the most famous one is the speckknödel, the speck dumpling. Yep. And then there's a spinach dumpling, and then they make them with a red beet, so they are very colorful, green, white, and red, Italian colors, in <laughs> Alto Adige, in <laughs> Südtirol, <laughs> and, and also one with uh, cheese, okay. with formaggio. So these are the, the, the most famous, maybe, dish in the area, mm -hmm. dumplings. But then there's also something, um, uh, we call them Schlutzkrapfen, <laughs> Okay. There's no translation, but they are, uh, it's a form of pasta, uh, pasta um, with um, ricotta inside, with okay. a fresh uh, cheese mm -hmm. and herbs again. And then uh, you, you close them to little, like little bags. Yep. And so this is also one of the very classical dishes. And then... Our form of prosciutto is uh, air dried and uh, affumicato, so with uh, uh, dried also above uh, uh, fire. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, that's the classical speck from the spec. area. So okay, so speck is from that area. Yeah. Okay. These are three things which which uh, Südtirol is really known for. Okay. Okay. And then the combination with Italian cuisine. Yeah. You uh, we were talking about um, the wines and and biodynamics. Something that I found very interesting. Um, do you grow your own oak trees for your own barrels? Is that or is yes, we are very fortunate that uh, very close to the winery we have a forest. It's not big, mm -hmm. and there are oak trees. So we have to be very careful not to cut over harvest over yeah. harvest uh, too much. But uh, some oak trees every year, two or three every year. So we have, um, and and then we. We uh, harvest or cut them with the last declining moon of the year. Then there's uh, less water in the in in the wood in the uh, oak, um, so they they don't uh, wind. Yeah, yeah, and then it, they get split, and then they get cut to the staves, mm -hmm. and then we put them in our courtyard and season them for three years so that the oaky taste gets all washed away by rain, by sun, by all the weathers of three years. And then after three years, the, the, the it's um, neutral enough because we want to use neutral barrels. The only reason why we use wood barrels instead of stainless steel, and all my wines are in oak in this mm -hmm. case, um, are because the wine can breathe and not to give it any oaky taste. Right. So the, the wood has to be seasoned. And then uh, the, the barrel maker of our fiducia, of our, how do, how do you say, uh, the we trust most. Yep. Uh, his name is uh, Franz Stockinger. He's from Austria. And he even delivers barrels to Bordeaux and to California. Wow. Small Austrian cooper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Because he's good, because yep. he's doing it with a lot of uh, sensitivity. And then he gets the oak and he works them to barrels. He tastes wine with us three times a year. And so he knows how to toast them. And so it doesn't get too much. We don't want to have any vanilla tones uh, in our wines. So even the white wine you had, uh, fermented and aged all its life in bigger old oak barrels. And we always also do a spontaneous fermentation, so we don't uh, buy selected yeast. Mm -hmm. It's the natural yeast which we don't kill in the vineyard, uh, which is uh, doing the fermentation. And some people think it's too risky, but if you are under control, if you have only clean fruit, if you that's why we, we don't do any machine harvesting, everything by hand. hand. And then the fruit is like a table fruit. It's clean. And then the risk, there is no, literally no risk to let it ferment naturally. Are these That's all the de-stemmed or de the stems? Yes, out? yes. Basically, we de-stem. Mm -hmm. We use some stems as a little filter. Mm -hmm. So that the, the, the wines, wine when it goes through, that the, the skins stay back. 
Yeah. Uh, but o- only for that reason. And so yeah, go ahead. to to go back to your question, yes, we do have some our own oak. Yeah. So to express more the territory than everybody using the same French oak. Wow. And uh, but we ha- don't have enough right. on on the estate. Right. So I also use oak from my family's forests in Austria. And because that's for me more regional and familiar and yeah. uh, territorial, but we also do have some uh, French oak. But also that one is seasoned for three years before. So I, I say all the barrels we use are neutral. And the, m- the, the biggest advantage we get out of them is the so-called micro-oxidation, so that the wines can breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. They fill up with oxygen naturally, so they don't oxidize so easy. Then they can naturally age longer, and they need less sulfites. And that's, to me, the, the main reasons and advantage of using oak barrels. It's way more work. <laughs> <laughs> You can have one stainless steel tank or a hundred barrels. Yeah. So one to hundred in ter- terms of work. And the ones you harvest at your place, you literally th- they're cutting the staves and just leave them outside. Yeah, we we stock them. Okay. Uh, and and then we we leave them outside. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you see, it's it's many little thoughts yeah. you have to bring together. So and since I was carpenter in my first uh, <laughs> career, first career yeah. uh, after using the barrels, the small barrels, the barriques, uh, five, six times, mm-hmm. then we make furniture out of them or, or wine racks or, or we sell them also to distillers who make grappa or cognac mm-hmm. or something like that. So they will be reused, recycled, and so we have a good feeling. True, true, sus- true sustainability. Um, and we this diamond. And so you mentioned this earlier. Um, natural wine, you said, is more of a winemaking technique. No, or it's it's a, it's a also a philosophy and a style. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, my wines are very like natural wines, yeah. but made very precise and clean and like this. Right. But they are, I consider them as natural as the so-called natural wines. Well, that's my thing is, is when people come in and ask for a natural wine, I don't mm-hmm. think they understand what they're asking for per se. Because yeah. this, this, wi- this is about as natural as you can get in a wine. And um, everything about it is is even minimal intervention, but like there's there's something like right now there's a they they want a cloudy, just weird, funky wine. I don't know if it's that big in Europe. I mean, it actually kind of started in the Wine of France, but yeah. Also in Europe, it's it's a theme. It's like I would say a smaller group Mm -hmm. of people who enjoy uh, wine. Right. And um, I know many um, funky wines or, yeah, or yeah. natural wines. Yeah. And to me, 
my personal taste because it's very it is, personal. It, is, it always yeah? is personal so taste, one hundred percent. There are many great wines. To me, ten percent of them are so good that I love to drink <coughs> a bottle. Yep. Yeah. Not at once, but yeah, in a short time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that they are so drinkable and so full of energy that they're fantastic. Right. But that's ten percent. I'm. I'm. And I'm and not. and. Many percent, uh, they have. They have flaws. I'm gonna say it. they have uh, flaws. I, I can't say they have a defect, right. but uh, but I they're will. not. Uh, sometimes they they taste more like beer or or kombucha or kombucha. Yeah, uh, I understand why people like that. And I like beer and I like kombucha. Yeah, but when I want wine, I want wine. Yeah, that's it. But you know, it's it's now it's a big boom. Yeah, and there are some uh, restaurants and some places yep. and bars. They only pour this wine, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I I like it, and I go there for that reason, and I I hope to find the right ones, which I really love. Yep. But my style is different. So I said it's a question of style and a question of how you like to live, how you like to treat things. Um, I'm. I, I like to be more precise. You know, I appreciate that. You see, the count. The count is very diplomatic. <laughs> 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 uh, um, yeah, I've had about the same experience. Like I've had a few natural wines that were good, but to me, I, I think the winemaker cared. Um, anyway, I digress. Loved everything you've shared about the difference between organic and biodynamic. Learned a lot uh, more. Um, and I, you know, for me, it's it's the farming. Like, there's other stuff that goes along mm -hmm. with, with Steiner, and that's fine. Um, but he's done a lot. Uh, you know, I there's a big move. There's a, there's not a big move, but there's places in Calvary. A lot of people are doing it, like high end. You know, um, and it's like you said, it's for sustainability. And if you've never been to a vineyard, any listeners out there, and if you see a vineyard and it's just like the the ground is just clean between the rows they're spraying they're using they're using chemicals um or, or they're working the ground a lot yep but without it it's always a question of giving and taking well that's it they're just taking first you give yep. first you give and and in the end the only thing we really take out of the vineyard is the juice of the grapes mm. we bring back the seeds we bring back the the the, the skins all the cuttings, all the leaves, every, everything goes back to the soil. And even more, because we do cover crop, we produce compost. So we, we like to give more than we take. And so we enrich our soil instead of making it poorer. And so it's getting better also for the next generation. Uh, soon, in, in three years, um, I will uh, give uh, um, the, the keys of the winery to my son and I will hand it over and I want to hand it over in better conditions mm -hmm. and uh, with an uh, aspect for the future. And I think today everybody talks about sustainability and, and every bank and every... Uh, <laughs> not, not so much here <laughs> right now in the United States. <laughs> no, yeah. but um, uh, I think it, it's takes it all right how you live how you care about uh, people around you that you just don't throw away 
if you're a smoker, yeah. that you just don't throw, throw it away on the, ground. The, oh. the, the, the rest of your cigarette. Because yeah. if you look in cities to the, to yes. the ground, yeah. there's nothing but... Uh, it's atrocious. How, how do you call it? The, the, the butt. We call them a cigarette yeah. butt. The butts. Th there's nothing yep. but butts. Yeah. And nobody really thinks about it that they don't biodegrade they don't uh, they, they stay there for 20 and 30 years oh yeah that's we could have and a uh, we want really the, the, the soil and the, the climate to to be safe for the future yeah. all right so we're coming up uh, at the end of our time play a little game it's called fmk i'm not gonna be I'm going to tone it down, but I'm going to give you three grapes. One of them would be, so F, that would be your mistress. M, then when you're going to marry a grape, this is a grape that's like your go-to everyday grape. And the other one, the K is for kill. So you can't, you can't, you have to kill off this grape. You can't drink it anymore, okay? So three grapes, one's your mistress, one's one you're marrying, it's just go-to, and the other one can't have anymore, okay? So for you, we're going to do uh, Schiava, Lagraine, Pinot Nero. Who's your mistress? Who you marrying? And what grade? Why did you choose those three? Because it's supposed to be very hard. <laughs> That's the whole point. That's really hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the whole so point. So the first one was. Uh, it's your mistress. You know. You yeah. No. The first. Oh, uh, Lagraine. Lagraine, Scava, and Scava, and oh my God, Pinot Nero. Pinot Nero. So. Um, that's really tough. It's <laughs> Listen, if you were from so the Rhone, I would I say Grenache, Syrah, yeah. Mavedra. <laughs> so I start, I start with Pinot Nero, okay. with Pinot Noir. That is, uh, what was the, the, the uh, mistress? mistress. The yeah. second, the love. The, 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 the marry, you're going to marry, Pinot Nero. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, would, I would marry Pinot Nero yep. because to me it's, it's uh, the, the most elegant uh, variety, the most asking. It's like the diva of the varieties. Yeah, it is. Well, I I'm 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 glad and not I'm not married to a diva. I'm, <laughs> I'm married to a wonderful wife. But <laughs> if you are woman, you're but yeah. uh, she's not asking too much. <laughs> <laughs> but Pinot Noir, Pinot Nero would be this one. Okay. Um, the mistress maybe I I can't I can't uh, throw away I can't one of those, yeah. Uh, so um, I think the mistress would be the the, the scava, okay, because uh, it was for a long, long time people thought it's worth nothing, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, it's still the worst paid grape. Lowest, people yeah, yeah. sell grapes; uh -huh. it's the lowest uh, value grape. But on the other hand, it's it's a fast, really fascinating wine, and. Poor Lagrain. I was hoping you had another variety <laughs> for me to, to, to dump. I know, I'm sorry. I don't I, want I, to dump Lagrain, but uh, <laughs> you, you didn't give me a choice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, we wanted to make yeah. it it's much more fun. <laughs> okay. Um, is there a bottle of wine growing? I mean, it was kind of on your table, but when when did you kind of, was there a bottle of wine that you had made with your uncle or I don't know, at, at when you were at university, was there mm -hmm. a bottle of wine where you just like really kind of knew you fell in love? Or it could have been before, like you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to do this. Is there is there a bottle that you can remember? That was a Pinot Noir. Mm. Um, I happened to uh, be in Belgium mm -hmm. and there was a, a place called uh, Belgium Wine Watchers. They they buy 
wine from widows who are not interested oh, in yeah, the they collection they of their, their husbands. Husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they get in the most incredible wines. Many are too old. Uh, yeah. So and, uh, in the shop, they had a bottle uh, like this on the table. Mm -hmm. That means low shoulder, that the bottle yep. Yep. lost uh, right. it's that old, a yeah. third mm -hmm. of its content mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through the cork. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and it was from not really legible uh, uh, Pinot Noir from uh, 1900, uh, I think, f f 42 or 39. Yeah. And I said, well, I, I wouldn't try. dare to buy this bottle because it can't be good anymore. And he said, well, I, I, I just bought five of these bottles. I have no idea if it's good. Let's open one and see. <laughs> And the wine was divine. Uh -huh. The wine was fantastic. I mean, it was mature. mature yeah. It was not too old. Right. Th that, uh, that's always a good question. Of I always like m my guests to drink the wines early enough. Yeah, yeah? I try and tell people that. With the first best occasion. Yep, yep. Because many people, wine collectors, sometimes it also happens to me, that we are waiting too long to op open a precious bottle. I say, I need to wait for my best friend. Right. And it's nothing worse than to lose an expensive or not so expensive wine because it's you too old. You waited too long, yeah. yeah. So drink it, enjoy it at the first best <coughs> occasion, and then you'll be happy. Okay, one last question for you, Michael. Um, oh, 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 oh. It's easy. You're gonna, <laughs> okay. you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna ace this. You've aced everything <laughs> so far. Uh, what are you most excited about uh, for the future? About the next generation. Um, I see they w that there are many, many troubles waiting for them. Mm -hmm. But uh, at least where the next generation where young people had the chance or have the chance to grow up in a family with more generations where they have respect yeah. the mm -hmm. oldest mm -hmm. and the oldest have respect for the youngest. Mm -hmm. These guys, and uh, I mean the generations of our kids and their friends, and I know so many fantastic people and they have, and there are many chances because the population is going back in, in our countries. And uh, so there is a need for good people. And I know there are many good people in the next generation which have to take responsibility and w which will do good things. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not too worried that uh, uh, young people people, young generation, mm -hmm. including my three children, they're, 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 uh, they, they like to take also responsibility that they will uh, go a good way. I love it. Thank you so much uh, for You're coming in, very Michael. very welcome. It was a great pleasure for me. Uh -oh. And thank you for your 
difficult questions. I, 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 you know, I just think I just think they're they're questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's please. always a, a matter of, of view. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which side? It's you a are. perception. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I had a guest uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "Wow, you're like a surgeon with the questions." I'm like, "Well, thank you. I kind of take that as a compliment. <laughs> it's a way to get the information, and hopefully, um, you know." You shared some. I love it when people share something they never shared before because they didn't get asked that question. So tell people where they can find you. What's your website? How they can be a part of what you're doing at Manicore? So our website is uh, manicore.com without all the other rest. Mm -hmm. And uh, so northern Italy, next to the Austrian border, beautiful country. We are... We are a tourist country, so we are waiting for So go for visit. You. <laughs> uh, so please come and visit us. I, I have a whole lot of people, and I will come visit you. I promise. Yes. I can't okay. wait. Uh, and for all the listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find uh, info information on the wines. I'll put the wines we drank. I'll put a link to his website, their social, uh, their Instagram account. And um, until the next time, this is Cheers to the Mavericks, the Philosophers, Deep Thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's your boy MJ saying peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>